Revelation. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. Revelation 3, 14. Part 2 of the church of Laodicea. <clears throat> Part 2. The church of Laodicea, which means the people rule. Which is definitely a cause for confusion. Amen. When the church tries to rule itself, that's when you have all kinds of chaos. <coughs> Amen. And so I think, I don't think, I know, <laughs> praise the Lord, that that's one reason why the church is in the condition that it's in here in Revelation 3, called Laodicea. In verse 14, it says, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And that's important because these people are not faithful. They are not true. And they are, I mean, they're not witnesses. And uh, I doubt if they are the new creation of God either, based on what this passage says. But they have a form of godliness. They have a profession of faith. They're, they're large, etc., wealthy, etc. Yeah, we've talked about this last week. Verse 15, he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. Colossae, the, the water that flowed from Colossae was very cold, nice to drink. And then on Areopolis, the, that area, that city, the water was, was hot from the hot springs. By the time it got to Laodicea, as it traveled, it became lukewarm so that it was neither good for drink nor good for medicinal uh, purposes, Okay. A lukewarm water. So in the city itself, it had these characteristics. The Lord talks about them spiritually. In verse 16, So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Pretty serious, isn't it? Because thou sayest, I am rich. This is what they're saying. I am rich and increased with good. So they're very wealthy. Very wealthy church. And have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and, say with me, naked. That's the true condition of the church. See, they look at themselves as really having it going. They look at themselves as being rich, and etc., etc., having need of nothing. But the true condition of the church is that they are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. That's a bridal garment. That's the kittle. The bridal garment. And that the shame of thy nakedness doth not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salves that thou mayest see. Now go to chapter. Hold your place there please. And go to 1615 of Revelation. And notice what he says way over here. In the tribulation period, in the book of Revelation, 1615, he says, Behold, I come as a thief. This is the day of the Lord coming, which is post-tribulational. We've already talked to you about that. His coming as a thief is post-tribulational. It's the day of the Lord. Verse 15, Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked. And they see his shame. 
Same thing basically that he's saying in Revelation 3. He is now saying way over at the end of the tribulation period. This church is a church that's in the tribulation period. Okay. All right. Now go back to Revelation 3. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. You see that? And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Again, we talked about how they were well known for their eye salve that they produced, but God's using it kind of to be a contradiction here, that they can't see spiritually. I get anointed, though, he says. In verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and will open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Say throne. That's the seventh place as you go up into the tabernacle or the temple, etc. The seventh place to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame. See, Jesus had to overcome also. And am set down with my Father in his throne. Now, does that mean there's two people sitting on that one throne? No, he is the Father. He is God coming in the flesh, sitting in, in the throne of the Father. The Father's throne, okay? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Father God, we just thank you right now for your awesome Spirit that you would speak to this church. We know that you are present among us. We ask God that you'd cleanse us with your blood of all sin, evil thoughts, words, actions, everything, God, that has been displeasing to you. We thank you, God, that you'll work. Uh, Lord Jesus, no matter, really, the Bible says through many offenses, God, we have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. We thank you, God, for its cleansing power today. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Okay, this is the seventh church. I'm not going to re-preach that to you. We covered that last week. This is the only church that we've had a two-parter on because it's very important. But go with me to Matthew 13. And associated with the seventh church, let's talk about the seventh kingdom parable, which overlays this church. Are you beginning to understand the pattern that we've been following? That the ones lay on ones, two on two, etc., etc., all the way through seven. God's number of completion. Matthew 13, beginning with verse 47. Keeping in mind that what we've just seen is a professing church that doesn't have the spirit. It doesn't have the power. It doesn't have the fire. It doesn't have the commitment. It doesn't have the loyalty to Christ that it should have. It's a professing religious system, institution. And so if we look at Matthew 13, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of it every kind. Are you following along, please? You need the word of the Lord today. Please get you a Bible if you could. The Bible says, I'm again, verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a net that was cast into the sea, gathered all of every kind. 
which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the age. The end of the age is the day of the Lord time of God's wrath. And this is connected with the seventh church again. Okay. So the seventh church, we see the overcomers receiving the garments from God, the wedding garments from God. But then he talks about the lukewarm, etc., etc. They're going to be judged. And so this parable is the same thing that's going on in Revelation 3 concerning the seventh church. And it's at the end of the age that this division has taken place. Okay? All right. And again, the end of the age is the day of the Lord, which is post-tribulational, or after the seven-year tribulation. So he says, so shall it be at the end of the age, the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. So we have the apostates versus the true bride here. Okay? The good fish represent the true bride, the true church. And then the apostates are represented here by the bad fish. He shall cast them, who? The bad fish into a furnace of fire and that's the time of God's fiery judgment upon the earth okay there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth wailing and gnashing of teeth all right you got that before we talk about this let me just go over here I feel compelled to go to this chart today to help you out some all right this is the church age right here Right here, we're in the seventh church. We're talking about the seventh church. When you go back to the beginning of creation, you have seven days of creation. The seventh day is parallel with the seventh church. The seventh day was the Sabbath day. Okay? In the seventh day, we're going to read scripture here. We see that in the seventh day, Adam and Eve entered into the rest of God. They woke up in the rest of God. But then they fell, planted in the garden east of Eden. All right, that's one thing we're going to look at. Another thing we're going to look at is there are seven feasts. Okay, seven feasts. Parallel the seven churches. Keep going over here. When you look at the tabernacle, there are seven pieces of furniture that take you to the, to the mercy seat. The mercy seat is the seventh piece of furniture. So the seventh is the throne room of God. All right, you with me? Seven churches. Also, seven kingdom parables concerning the church. One that he has up here is called the hid treasure. Just to show you'll know that they parallel the church. Seven parables. Now going back in history, there are seven Old Testament epochs of time. Or historical sections. And that also can be laid over these churches. All right. <clears throat> seven churches, seven kingdom parables. And then you also have the seven Pauline epistles. Seven epistles of Paul that were written to the church. Okay. Now I have not yet got that all together. I don't know for sure which epistle lays over which church. The seventh church, I believe, is, is laid over by Colossians. And I'll show you that in just a moment. It's going to take some more time for me to study the epistles out, see how they lay over. But they lay over the seven churches. Okay. 
Of course, when Jesus died on the cross, you have the seven days of the crucifixion. Amen. You have 7,000 years of history. 6,000 years for man's day. Right here, man's day starts on the sixth day. You see the sixth day here. Goes all the way to the end of the tribulation period. And then the 7,000th year is called the day of the Lord. That's when God sets up his kingdom. Associated with his throne, this is the rest of God. All right? Followed by that, you then have the fiery judgment of God upon the earth called the day of the Lord. Okay. Now, remember this. The day of the Lord begins with the kingdom age. It's a thousand year day. It ends with this fiery renovation. Of course, there's the fiery judgment of God when he comes back at the end of the seven year tribulation period called the day of the Lord, which begins the day of the Lord. But you also have at the end of this thousand year reign of Christ, you have this fiery judgment upon the earth. Okay? When he makes a new heaven and a new earth, which is pictured here. Then we see, we see here the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. This is Revelation 21. Now, when that happens, most likely is when the thousand years start. It descends at that point. But Revelation 21 is when we see it actually recorded in Scripture as coming down from God out of heaven. Okay. From the end of the seven-year tribulation period, okay, the beginning of the 1,000-year kingdom age, this line right here that you see with an arrow at the end of it, along with this here, shows you <clears throat> the seventh day. Say with me, the seventh day. Okay. So you'll understand what we're talking about, the seventh day. Notice this. You, you can lay this over this. Okay? You've got three phases here. You've got the original earth, chaotic earth, restored earth. Now, I'm not going to get into explaining all that to you. But you come over here. <clears throat> you've got this kingdom age earth. Then you've got a renovation of the earth by fire. Then a new earth. So, Genesis... Okay, is fulfilled in Revelation. The two books go together. I'm showing you that for a reason. <clears throat> because as you go through the Word of God, you're going to see that God has laid His pattern out, <coughs> excuse me, from the beginning of time all the way to the end. And He gives you types, and He gives you shadows, and He gives you pictures, and He gives you days, and He gives you numbers, and He gives you feasts, and He gives you histories, and He gives you in the, uh, the tabernacle and the pieces of furniture there. He gives you the church age, the seven churches. He gives you seven church epistles. Okay? He gives you seven kingdom parables. He gives you seven seals. He gives you seven trumpets. He gives you seven personages. He gives you seven bowls of wrath. He gives you seven millennium from the creation of Adam. To the end of his day, 7,000 years, okay? You have a new heaven and new earth. So you see God's pattern is laid out. And it's laid out specifically in sevens. I'm doing this for you because as we've gone through these seven churches, and I go from here and there and back and forth, like we talked about the sixth church, and we talk about the sixth parable and the sixth, etc., etc. I think really you don't understand what I'm doing here. I'm trying to show you the pattern of God. 
Because he does not want you to miss his kingdom. But even every, with everything that God has done by way of revelation to man, many men, in fact most men, are going to miss his kingdom. And God doesn't want us to miss it. Okay, do you understand then what I'm doing here? <coughs> okay, Matthew 13 then. The seventh church is a church that's lukewarm. It's got professing people in it. We come over here to Matthew 13, and we talk about this big net. This is the seventh parable. Say to me, seventh parable. Okay. It goes over the seventh church. Now, when we talk about this parable here, we've got the sea, which is humanity. Revelation tells us that. Revelation 17, when we get there, you'll see that. That the sea represents this humanity of man. Okay. What happens is God cast his net out there in the sea of mankind. So again, God is using natural things to teach you spiritual truths. Okay, so that the sea is not just a literal sea, but it's mankind, Revelation 17. Now, he cast this gospel net into the sea of mankind. Gathers them all up in this net, pulls them ashore. Then there has to be a separation. If you are a fisher of men and you fish with the net, you would have to take all the bad fish out and throw them into a fire, destroy them, whatever. In this case, it's a fire. And then you would take the good fish, you would take it to the marketplace and sell it or eat it, right? Okay. So you keep the good, you cast aside the bad fish. The bad fish got all kinds of bad fish. You've got eels, you've got serpents you've got dragons got all kinds of fish that cannot be eaten leviticus chapter 11 the lord talks about animals that are not good to eat so he defines for you what good fish is and bad fish is in leviticus chapter 11 the dietary law of god so you know we don't just <laughs> Kind of take it in our own hands and say, well, this is a bad fish and this is a good fish. God defines what's a bad fish and defines what a good fish is. Okay, in Leviticus 11. And so they sat down, the angels sat down, and they are going through the gospel net. And they're casting aside all the bad fish. Alright? They take the octopus out. Hmm, sorry. They take the shark out. Okay, they take all those bad fish, the eels and the manta rays and all of those bad fish and throw them away because they're not worth eating. But then they take the good fish, fish that's got some, some fins on it and, and some scales on it, you know. And they keep those fish and they bring it into the harvest, good fish, right? Okay, now, what is interesting about this, this church is a church that doesn't have the spirit, doesn't have the fire, doesn't have the power, doesn't have the commitment to God. It's lukewarm, it's not clothed, and it's blind. It's naked, it's miserable, it's poor. Amen. Devoid of the spirit. It has just become a mere shell of what it professes. The substance isn't there. It's gone. Okay? Do you understand that? And so, 
because this church is devoid of the spirit then this parable is going to show you a religious system that has been gathered in by the gospel net it's a church world but not everybody in the church is God's not everybody in the gospel net belongs to Jesus they go to church they've got a form of godliness but they deny the power thereof from such turn away come on somebody yes and so because this church is devoid of the spirit and a real relationship with Jesus then we can look at this parable and we see that the bad fish are void of spirit direction what do I mean by that well the the fins on the fish that are good okay is a type and a picture of those who are led by the spirit because the fins on the fish guide them through the water. That's how they, they get through the water. It's by being led by their fins. And so the good fish, Leviticus 11, are going to be the people of God who are led by the Spirit. They've got the fins that will lead them through life, which is the Holy Ghost. Okay? And also, the good fish have scales on their bodies. Why do fish have scales on their bodies? So that they can go into the deep parts of the waters, deep water, and the pressure doesn't collapse them, <clears throat> doesn't destroy them. So the good fish, the good people that are gathered out of the nets, the gospel, are people who are led by the Spirit. They're full of the Holy Ghost and power. And they are the ones who have the scales on their bodies typically, which means they have endured the pressure. <coughs> They've been, made, been able to go through the pressures of life. They are the overcomers. They're the ones with the scales. And the overcomer is somebody with a scale because overcomers got to overcome a lot of things. They got to overcome the world. They have to overcome the devil. They have to overcome the flesh. They have to overcome trials. They might even have to overcome a seven-year tribulation period. They may have to overcome Antichrist. They may have to overcome the mark of the beast. So everything's coming against them. But because they're led by God's Spirit and they have the ability to withstand the pressure. They are the ones that are going to be in the kingdom of God. They are the good fish. Praise God. So can you see the parallel here then? The Lord says at the end of the age, the time of the day of the Lord, we've already established what the end of the age is in previous messages. That's when they're going to sit down and they're going to separate the good fish from the bad fish. And they're going to cast the bad fish into the burning fiery furnace as that's depicted over here right here in this lower part the lake of fire you got it <clears throat> and it's a very very meticulous thing to do to set down and to divide good fish from the bad fish it's time consuming it's not something that you do very quickly you don't just run in there and say don't want that one just start throwing stuff you've got to set down and you've got to look very carefully at the fish that is in that net now I will say this, that I do believe these are literal angels that he's talking about. But what is interesting to the churches in the book of Revelation, the letters are given to the angels of the churches, which are ministers. It's, they're not given to a spiritual creature. 
a spiritual creature can't deliver a literal letter to a literal church. These are the messengers of God in Revelation 7. So why can't they be the message of God, messengers of God in Matthew 13? So what am I saying here? Is that the fivefold ministry, in a sense, when it preaches the gospel, is dividing the good fish from the bad fish. And it's something that has to be done very, very carefully. You just can't jump in the middle of that and say, well, that's a bad fish. That's a good fish. Because you might keep a bad fish and throw a good fish out the door. So you've got to be very careful. But you just keep preaching the word of the living God. You keep preaching the message. And what happens is that word divides the house. Jesus said when he came, he came and he brought division. His word will divide us. The good and the bad fish. You understand that. So in a sense the messengers are the angels that are set there in that net dividing the good fish from the bad fish. How? By the word of God. Because the word of God is what determines the goodness or the badness of that fish. Are you understanding what I'm saying here? All right, give God some praise. Now, <clears throat> I don't want to be a bad fish. I don't want to be connect. Oh, yeah, I feel the Holy Ghost. When you talk about Leviathan, Leviathan, that seven-headed serpent that depicts the Antichrist, all right, the, the devil, okay? Leviathan, the Bible says there are people who have attached themselves to his body. They are part of his kingdom. That what's, that's what makes them bad fish, is they have attached themselves to the kingdom of Leviathan. The serpent in the sea, or the dragon in the sea. Come on, what makes you a good fish is you have attached yourself to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. See, we're all bad if you don't know it. None of us are worth having. I'm not worth having, you're not worth having. In the kingdom of God, none of us are worth having. We're all bad fish. But what made the difference is we have been regenerated. And God took a bad fish that was once connected to Leviathan, the seven-headed dragon in the sea. He took a bad fish and regenerated us. How? By the Spirit of the living God. By the new birth and by the work of the cross, I have been regenerated. So now I'm no longer connected to Antichrist, that seven-headed Leviathan, and his kingdom. I have been regenerated, and now I'm a part of God's kingdom. I'm a good fish based on what he's done. Do you understand that? <laughs> Give God some praise. Can you imagine what we would be like if we didn't have God? You know, I'm telling you today, you know, I'm not, I'm not deceived about who I am. I know who I am in Christ, but I also know who I am apart from Christ. I know how desperately wicked my evil, sinful nature is inside of me. I know how bad this fish is. <coughs> I am not deceived about that. But what keeps me in his kingdom is the spirit of that kingdom. And the spirit of that kingdom is Jesus Christ. And his blood is what cleanses me from the wicked, evil badness that's in my life. I can only imagine what I would have turned out to be if Jesus wasn't in my life. 
Amen. Because I'm not a good fish with God in my life. I'm not a good fish with God in my life. Paul said this, the only thing that's good in him was Jesus Christ. Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. In my flesh I'm a bad fish that deserves to be cast out by God into a burning fiery furnace. But Jesus, he's the good inside of me. Jesus is the one who has saved me. And because I'm filled with his spirit today, I'm a good fish. And that's the only reason why I'm a good fish. is by the new birth. You're looking at a very evil man. In the flesh. Very evil man. Capable of doing the most heinous sin. That you could ever imagine. There's none good. But God. None good. But God. And if you're a good fish today. You didn't get there by making yourself that way. There's none good. But God. And the only thing that makes you any good. Is because Jesus lives inside of you. And he made you good. So don't give up man. Don't quit. Don't quit. Yeah. Just acknowledge who you are. Acknowledge your vileness. Acknowledge your filth. Acknowledge your badness. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge your shortcoming. And acknowledge that the only thing that's good is God inside of you. Seek. I'm going to tell you something. You got to have his spirit. You've got to have his fins. You've got to have his scales. You've got to have his armor. You've got to have his clothing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Man, if we're not walking in the spirit, any one of us, by nature, we move to sin. By nature, we do. I'm going to tell you, the only thing that keeps you away from sin is walking with Jesus and being full of the Holy Ghost. Are you understanding what I'm telling you today? Because when we start moving away from that and start getting lukewarm and start getting fleshly and start getting carnal, we start, come on somebody, we start living like just like people in the world. But if you're walking close to Jesus and full of the Spirit and you're full of the fire of God and the power of God, then it's amazing as we talked about last week how the things of this world just kind of just stay away from you. It's amazing how you just automatically overcome that carnal nature. Are you hearing what I'm saying? <clears throat> Some of you don't believe it. Some of you think you've arrived. But you walk with Jesus for a little while and you understand the only thing that's good about you is God in you. Now, what that doesn't mean is this. It doesn't mean that we throw up our hands and say, okay, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And just, you know, feed the flesh and feed the evil and give ourselves to that. Then we become Laodicea. Carnal, lukewarm, blind, naked, miserable. You with me? And I don't want to get there. Why are you looking at me with a question mark on your face? You want me to get up here and talk about how wonderful I am and how wonderful you are? Every one of us deserve to be lost Every one of us deserve to go into a lake of fire, including this pastor today. I'm not deceived about who I am, but I know who Jesus is. <clears throat> and I've experienced his power, his resurrection power in life in my life. I've experienced his blood and cleansing in my life. And I know it's real. The finished word is real. 
And that's the only thing that gives you rest. That's it. Amen. And so when you stand before Jesus, clothed in white garments someday, you know why you're going to worship Him? You know why you're going to love Him? You know why you're going to praise Him? Because you know you don't deserve to be there. <clears throat> and the more vile and evil and bad fish you are or were, will cause you to love Him that much more. Because he that has sinned much has been forgiven much and if you've been forgiven much then you love much <coughs> and so that's why we got wacko people in here that just go crazy on fire for Jesus and love him so much and sing and worship and run and praise and shout you know why because they know how evil they are But they also know that they've got an awesome Savior that has died for them, has shed the blood for them, and has filled them with the Spirit, and has forgiven them. So the more wacko the person, you mark it down. When I say wacko, I'm talking about they just go crazy for Jesus. Those are the people who understand how bad a fish they are and were. The people that go crazy in Jesus on fire for God are not the people who are self-righteous. They are the people who understand they got their righteousness from Him. They understand the great price He paid for their sin. They can't praise Him enough. They can't love Him enough. They can't serve Him enough. They can't give Him enough. Not because you're trying to earn their salvation. But because of what he's done for them. They understand the debt. Every one of us on that day. Would have been the bad fish. Including me. That would have been taken out and thrown into the fire. And you don't want me to praise him. When he saved me from a burning hell. <laughs> you, you don't want me to love this, this Jesus that died for me that I could be saved forever and have eternal life you don't want me to be excited for him you don't want me to live totally for him after he's done what he's done for me when he plucked me out of the nets and said you deserve to be cast in that fire and he had me wiggling in his hand but he said look nail scarred hands I died for you, and now I'm going to regenerate you. And that old fish put on scales, and that old fish put on fins. And now you're looking at a religious man who got born again. You're looking at a religious man who got filled with the Holy Ghost. You're looking at a religious man that by the blood of Jesus stands before you today, preaching this awesome, glorious gospel. And so, that's the Word of God coming forth. And that's what divides mankind is the cross. The work of the cross is what divides mankind. Where do you stand in relation to Jesus' work at the cross? That determines the book of life are those who stand in right relationship to the cross. And those who are cast in the lake of fire whose names are not in the Lamb's book of life are people who are not rightly related to the cross. That's what it's all about. Give God praise. And if you're a real, true 
born again, child of God, spirit-led, you will overcome the pressures in life. You will overcome the world, the devil, and the flesh because of who you are now. You understand that. Okay, let's go over here and let's look in Genesis. Let's talk about the seventh day of creation. Praise God. <coughs> praise God. Praise God. In Genesis chapter 2, the seventh day of creation. What does the seventh day speak to you of? It speaks of rest. Why rest? Because of the finished work. The finished work of the cross produces rest. When I say, when Jesus said, it is finished. He's showing you the rest of God. And the way that it was restored back to man. It's showing you man which had fallen away from God and who had become bad fish. It shows you that man being restored back to paradise. Back to the Eden of God as the bride of Christ walking in the garden of God restored. Now watch. This church, it talks about people who are blind, wretched, miserable, and naked. Okay, isn't that interesting? That on the seventh day, God had already created man. Say created. The seventh church, what is the focus there on Jesus? He's the creator. Okay. God has already created man on the sixth day. He takes Adam and Eve. He puts them both in the garden. He didn't create them in the garden. He put them in the garden. He put them there on the seventh day. So that when they woke up, they woke up in the rest of God. Are you here? All they had to do is go and obtain, receive the fruits that God had already planted in the garden. That was the work that he was going to have to do. See, work is not a result of sin. Sin is not working. Work is not a result of sin. The sweat of the brow is a result of sin. And that's connected to the mark of the beast. You with me here? Okay. Work is from God. Work is a good thing. But it's not by the sweat of the brow. It's by resting in what he's already done he already planted the garden he already created everything and he puts Adam and Eve in a place where everything's already done for him and all he's got to do is go and receive it and walk in it and just work doing what God's will God's will okay but then when man fell in sin, then he lost the rest of God. And he began to work by the sweat of his brow. Hard labor. Because he lost God's rest. Do you understand that? And that at that point is when he got the mark of the beast. 
Okay? The fallen nature of man is the Antichrist. The sweat of his brow is the mark of the beast. Now listen to me. I'm giving you spiritual things here. Which will ultimately culminate in a literal mark and a literal Antichrist. But I'm taking you back to the book of Genesis. And I'm showing you that Adam had the mark of the beast when he fell into sin. He got the Antichrist nature when he fell in sin. Fallen nature. Okay? So now he's working. He's laboring. He's struggling. The, one of the first things they notice on the seventh day is the same thing Jesus said to the seventh church. And that was that they were naked. Give God some praise. <clears throat> it's a perfect layover. They saw that they were naked. Now watch this. Okay. Genesis 2. This is on the seventh day. Okay. Now keeping in mind that we're going to talk about this future seventh day. See how this is fulfilled. The rest of God. Okay. The kingdom of God. Genesis 2 verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Look at that. Finished. And all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested. Why? Because he had finished. Do you understand that? He rested because he had finished from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. He set it apart unto himself so that the seventh day is his day. The seventh day is the day of the Lord. It's the Sabbath day. The seventh day, he set it apart unto himself. So if you want to know what the day of the Lord is, we find out right there in Genesis. Okay? And the Bible says, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. And that's what Jesus is called in Revelation. He's called the creator in connection to the seventh church. All right? These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now watch. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth. And every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And there was not a man to till the ground. God had already done it. Man did not plow the ground. And do all the planting and then receive the fruit. God planted everything for him. He created this garden, and a garden is literally a paradise. When you say garden, you're talking about paradise. It's where the companions of the king walk. Okay? These people are the companions of the king, his close companions. See, not everybody walks in paradise. They don't walk in the garden. Some walk outside that because they're not the companions of the king. But those who walk in the garden of God or paradise are people who are the companions of the king. And so the king has already created his kingdom. He's created his 
people of the kingdom. Now he creates this beautiful garden enclosed. He gives you the boundaries and we have learned that the boundaries were 1500 miles square which is the exact dimensions of the new Jerusalem of God. <clears throat> is everybody all right out there? And then he places man who he created in the garden that he's already made for him. He wakes up and it's a finished work and all he has to do is just enjoy the fruits of the labor of God. Okay, with me? He's not, not able to till it. Now watch this, okay. <clears throat> Bible says, But there went up amidst from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathing his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted, say the Lord God, planted. God did the tilling. God did the plowing. Now watch this. God did the plowing in the original creation. Jesus has done the plowing for a new creation man. When his back was plowed like a field, the stripes upon his back and his crucifixion and his open wound out of his side flowed blood and water. There he was the gardener who plowed the field of God to bring in a new creation. Do you understand that? Now watch. It's beautiful stuff. Now hang in there with me. The Bible says, God planted it in verse 9, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight, good for food. Say tree. Now remember in the book of Revelation, when you get to the end of the book of Revelation, you've got this beautiful river coming from the throne, and you've got trees on either side, and they're producing fruit for the healing of the nations. Remember Laodicea couldn't heal anybody because they were lukewarm? They were not like the hot springs of Areopolis, which, which had medicinal qualities. Come on. But at the end of the book of Revelation, we see a bride, hello, with the lamb. There's a pure river flowing out. There's a beautiful paradise or garden of God. There's fruit on every tree for the healing of the nations. Watch. Does that make sense to you? So what we see is a new creation at the end. We see this old creation here. Now, <clears throat> Hallelujah. He said also, he put the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What's the tree of life to us? The cross. The, of the knowledge of good and evil are good and bad. Do you get it? Good and bad fish. Apostates and the true bride of Christ. Oh, I, I pray you're getting this. I don't have time to go back and repeat it. Now watch. He says, the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the tree, the river, went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. It talks about these four heads, all right? Pison, it goes on, it talks about Havilah. It goes on, it talks about uh, all these minerals that were there. The name of the second river is Gihon. The same is that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. The name of the third river is Hittakel. That is which go toward the east of Assyria and the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So all he's got to do now is just dress and keep what God has already planted for him. 
and it's connected with the seventh day. Now watch, are y'all with me here? And the boundaries are 1,500 miles square, which we have learned, right? Okay, which takes you to the New Jerusalem. Now, the Bible says in verse 15, I'm reading again, The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the men, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Got it? So now God tells them what they cannot do. And that's eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they eat that tree, they will surely die, he said. Do you understand that? Okay, praise God. Let's keep reading just a little bit here. In verse 18, the Lord God said, It was not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmate for him. This is interesting to me. And I pray that I'm not reading into this. But it seems to me that God created Adam outside of the garden prepared the garden for him he woke up on the seventh day are you with me he became alive on the seventh day and then God told him what he could not eat then the Bible says God puts him to sleep which to me means that he's in the garden on the seventh day come on let me make sure about this I'm going to back up let me read Genesis 6 okay this is Genesis uh on the sixth day. I need to make sure about this. Mm, verse 25. The fifth day. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind. And cattle after their kind. Everything that created upon the earth after his kind. God saw it was good. And God said let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Over the fowl of the air. And over the cattle. And over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. Okay. According to that scripture right there, we know that God's going to make man and woman. Genesis 2, God's given us more facts about this creation. We know man was created on the sixth day outside of the garden. Now watch this. In connection to the seventh day, the Bible says in verse uh, eight, 19, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and brought them into Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmate for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Woman means living. Okay. Praise God. Because she was taken out of man. No, 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 no. Woman out of the side of man. Eve means living. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. They shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Get it? Now, in connection to the seventh day, whether or not she was created on the sixth day or the seventh day, I'm not sure. I'm talking about the woman. But in connection to the seventh day, that is when we see her walking with Adam in the cool of the garden. Amen? 
We see that in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of man into sin. But I'm not going to read all of this because it would take us a long time. But verse 21, And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. What we see here is a picture and a type of what's going to take place. We see Jesus, who's the last Adam, dying for us on the cross that our nakedness could be covered. In the seventh church, the Bible said, Jesus said to the seventh church, you're blind, wretched, miserable, poor, and naked. Now what God's going to do is, He's going to expose the nakedness of the Antichrist, the nakedness of Satan and his followers at the battle of Armageddon, at the end of the seven year tribulation period. But for His bride, we see a bride who He has redeemed, cleansed, and clothed. And we see her walking with God, with Jesus, in a new creation that he has plowed in the seventh day, the kingdom age right here. We see her restored back to Jesus, walking with him in paradise, walking with him in an eternal time of peace, <coughs> having been redeemed by the blood. Thank you. Now that's powerful because it's laid out right here in Genesis we see it happening now what was lost in the garden has been restored back to us the bride of Jesus Christ and we're going to be walking with the lamb we're going to be walking with our bridegroom whithersoever he goes in a paradise in a garden in a time of complete rest in his kingdom age or his throne dimension operation that's powerful and that's what he's offering the church of Laodicea those people that are in it they overcome he said I'll give you a kittle I'll give you a white garment you will be my bride I'm the last Adam I'm the one who's not just a creator of the older but I'm a new creation man bringing in a new creation by my plowing upon the cross do you understand that <coughs> give God some praise And at that time, just like Adam and Eve, they were clothed with the glory of God before the fall. The bride of Christ is going to be clothed with His glory and His splendor. And we're going to enter into the Sabbath day, the seventh millennium of time, into eternal rest and bliss, having the glory of God upon us, redeemed by the blood, clothed in the garments of the bride, walking with the last Adam in a new creation situation that He did by His own plowing. And you see that connected with the seventh church. And that's what he's promising you. Hallelujah. That's why I'm telling you regeneration is what you need. Now, now listen to me very carefully. You must come out of the old creation. Because the old creation is fallen. You must come out of the old Adam. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says that everybody who is in Adam die. That's why God said in Genesis, he said in the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. So if you stay in the old Adam, then you will surely die. Because you have his sin nature. 
You're a bad fish. You've got to be regenerated. That's why God condemned the church of Laodicea. Because they were a church that didn't have living waters in them. They didn't have the fire of the Spirit in them. They didn't have a relationship with the King. They were still in the old Adam. With a mere profession and a religion and that was it. Everybody here, you've got to get out of the old Adam. If you don't, you will surely die. Because everybody that's in Adam die. Now how do you get out of the old Adam? How do you get into the last Adam? How do you become a part of the bride of Christ? Clothed in his righteousness. A part of the new creation. Covered in his glory in the kingdom to come. And we're in that kingdom now, of course. How? Watch this. Whenever you go down in water baptism, in the name of Jesus, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, that you put off the old man. <coughs> and you put on Christ. So what happens is, when you're water baptized in Jesus' name, the old Adam dies. You come up in the new creation, man, Jesus Christ. You're no longer a part of the old creation, but you're a part of the family of God. <coughs> How do you get out of the old whore system? The old harlot system that's a fallen church system. And become the new Eve in the earth. It's by being born again of the water and the Spirit. Coming out of His side, blood and water flowed. And that's when the bride was born. And that only takes place when you're baptized in Jesus' name. And when you get born again of the water and the Spirit, you're burying the old man in Jesus' name. To arise to do what? To walk in newness of life. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You arise to walk in a new creation. In fact, the Bible calls you a new creature. You are a new creation. That's why the emphasis is upon Jesus being the creation. The creator. Do you understand that? So if you've not yet been baptized in Jesus' name, you've got to bury that old man in water. And you've got to come up in his name because he is the last Adam. So that you can be part of the new Eve that will walk in the paradise of God. And be a part of a new creation man. That's why Jesus calls it the new birth. It's called regeneration. Taking a bad fish and making a good fish out of it. <clears throat> Hello somebody. Now, having said that, I think you need to understand, though, that there's a very strong possibility that the body of Christ, Jesus' body, His bride, is going to suffer in the seven-year tribulation period. Because in Revelation 16, the Bible says it talks about keeping your garments, lest you walk naked. And that's connected with the end of the book of Revelation, with the tribulation. What am I saying? The Bible says in the prophets the minor prophets in the book of acts it says the moon shall be turned to blood hello moon which means before this awesome time when we walk with jesus in this paradise of god 
clothed and redeemed with the glory of God upon us in the ultimate sense, there will be a time of bloodshed for the bride. The moon will be turned to blood. So you're going to have to be an overcomer, man. Christianity is not this just passive thing that we have in America. This is something you've got to fight the good fight of faith. You've got to walk close to God. Yes, He regenerates you. And it's a finished work. And you wake up. And you enjoy the fruits of the cross. And the work of the cross. But it's by self-denial. That you experience everything that happened there for you. Do you understand? Give God some praise. <coughs> so do you see the parallel then? Mm, yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah, it's okay if you don't. You'd have to go back and read Revelation chapter 3, the church, the seventh church, and then just take into account everything I just said, and Matthew 13, the kingdom parable. Now let's go to Colossians. I want to show you why I believe this is the, the epistles uh, that fits over the seventh church. Praise God, and I've got to come to a conclusion in just a minute. I'm running out of time. Just in time to be on time, though. Y'all doing okay out there? Aren't you glad you know Jesus? Aren't you glad you're part of the good fish? <coughs> Thank you, God. Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 15. I think what I'd like to do is start with verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness... And have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So we've talked about this in an ultimate sense. But what I want you to understand is that you have already been translated into that kingdom. There is a future literal thousand year kingdom age. I believe that. But you as a people have already been translated into the place of his rest. You have already entered into as a people, as long as you're walking in the spirit, yeah. If you start walking in the flesh, that's when you start walking back in, you know, defeat and darkness and the powers of darkness and demons, etc. As long as you're walking with him as a new creation person, then you can experience the new creation now. You are a new creation now. Now, okay, I'm, I can look at some of you as confused as, I, as you can possibly be, but that's okay. I mean, I'm giving you the word today, and that's all I can do. I can't, I can't. I can't give you anything else but the word. You know. And a lot of this, because it's so brand new to, to you, you know, it's hard for you to swallow, but that's okay. Just meditate on it. All right. <clears throat> Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us in the kingdom of his dear son. I'm already in the kingdom of God. I'm not waiting to go there. In an ultimate sense, I am. But in a spiritual sense, I've already been regenerated. Now watch. <coughs> in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So the finished work there. Amen. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature or every creation. New creation man. Do you understand? Because he's the new head of a new race of people. And the way you become a, re a new race is by being regenerated. 
How? By water and spirit. Not by professing. Not going and shaking the preacher's hands. Not going and shaking the preacher's hand and living like you always have. In fact, not even being, ba being baptized in Jesus' name and going out and living like you always have. Nothing's happened to you. There's no magic in it. There's repentance there as a part of the new birth. Hallelujah. He goes on and he says this. Watch. Praise God. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created. Naturally. The natural creation. He plowed the natural. And he plowed the supernatural. He plowed the natural. He plowed the spiritual. Amen. He rose on the seventh day. Not the first day of the week. The seventh day. And because he rose on the seventh day. The true tabernacle of God. He's going to raise up the true tabernacle. The true temple of God. Connected with the seventh day. The rest of God. Do you understand? Now listen. He says. For by him are all things created. That are in heaven and that are in earth. Visible and invisible. Old creation, new creation. Whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Not for me, not for you, but for him. It's all about Jesus. At the end of the sixth day, I will say this. At the end of the sixth day, he had his bride. The beginning of the seventh day, he had his bride. At the end of the sixth year tribulation period, the beginning of the seventh year tribulation period, at some point, he will have his bride. At the beginning of the seven thousandth year, uh, seven thousandth, seven thousand, um, the seventh millennium of man, he will have his bride. And there's only one image. There's only one God. His name is Jesus. There's not three husbands. There's only one husband. There's only one last Adam. And there's only one bride, not a bunch of brides. And they're all called by his name. That's Ephesians 3.15, by the way. Now watch this. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. He is the head of the body. See that federal head of a new race of people? Head of the body. The church. Who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him. To reconcile all things unto himself by him. Whether things in earth or things in heaven. And either were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind. By wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled. That's powerful. And so I believe Colossians. Because it talks about creation and the new creation man. Uh, the corporate man. The church. To me it pictures 
this seventh epistle. Isn't God good? <coughs> Give God some praise. Now, when you go on through here and you talk about the seven feasts then, the Lord, by Passover, the finished work of the cross, and by the power of Pentecost, the Spirit, say the Spirit, remember this church needs the Spirit, now offers this church the kittle, the garments, which is associated with the seventh Am I confusing you? The seventh feast, which is tabernacles, it's the same as the third feast. Okay, I'm not going to get into all of that. But just to let you know, he's offering you a position with him in the throne. But it's only the overcomer that gets to that place, the position of the throne. That's what he's offering you. He wants you to be his close companion. His intimate bride. You understand that? So the feasts are laid out. And we'll see that as we go through the book of Revelation. We'll see the feast laid out in the book of Revelation. Okay? Is everybody awake? <coughs> now as far as the seventh epoch of history in the Old Testament, when you get to the seventh, then now you're moving into the days when Jesus walked the earth. He was born under the law. Time of the law. He came into the earth under the law, reaching out to fallen man, religious men too, inviting them to be his bride. You understand that? Okay, I don't know if you do. You look at me like you're not sure. But just take it. Put it in your spirit, all right? Give God a hand clap of praise. Okay, go to Revelation then. Revelation 21. And I'll point out some things to you in closing. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to read Revelation 3, the church of Laodicea. And maybe it'll start clicking for you. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. There's a new creation. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. The old creation's gone. And the Bible says, and there was no more sea. Why? Because the bad fish had been done away with. <coughs> Leviathan, that seven-headed serpent that's in the midst of the sea, has been destroyed and cast into the lake of fire. So God doesn't want anything that will remind you of bad fish. He don't want anything to remind you of Leviathan, the seven-headed serpent of the Antichrist. He's completely removed it out of the way. And then he says, okay, there go the apostates. We got the division of the fish here. We got, see, the bride and the apostates, the good fish, the bad fish, those that are overcomers versus those that are lukewarm and carnal and fleshly. Do you see it? Those are who the bride and those that are part of the harlot. Those that are connected to Leviathan. Those that are connected to Jesus. Oh, come on. It's not that hard. It's very simple. I'm not giving you hard things. I'm very, being very ABC with you this morning. 
Okay, watch. <coughs> yeah, man, I'm, I'm preach. I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think about Paul. They wanted to give them a Galatian church. I think it was wanted to, was it Galatian? Yeah, wanted to give them his eyes, which means he was probably a sight to see when he preached. His eyes all, you know, maybe continuously watering. You know, so I mean, if he can do it, I can do it. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. See, you have a natural Jerusalem, and you have a spiritual Jerusalem. You have an old city, and a new city. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's exactly paradise restored. That's the garden of God, the temple garden of God who you are now but it shows you what you will become prepared as a bride adorned for her husband oh yeah last Adam and Eve walking hand in hand see now you, you know what you're moving beyond the seventh day now you're, you're at the end of the seventh day now and we see him with his bride adorned for her husband I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man. That's the next dimension. And we will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And shall wipe all tears away, all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He said upon the throne, said, Behold, I make all things new. He didn't say, I'm going to make all new things. He didn't say, I'm going to make all new things. He said, I'm going to make all things new. That's where I got my chance. Because if he would have made all things new and brought a regeneration from man and a regeneration, if you'll look on this chart, we have generation here in the original creation. We have degeneration at the fall. And we have regeneration here. If Jesus Christ did not make all things new, we wouldn't have had a chance. Because he'd have just done away with us as all bad fish and made all new things. You, I pray you see this. Uh, you probably will tonight. When I preach what God wants me to preach tonight. I think then you'll probably appreciate this this morning. No. This is too bridal-like. This is too wedding-like. Amen. We got the flowers on the floor. We got the music playing. We got the bride in Christ there. And the rest of God in the seventh day in a new creation which he's plowed for her. You see? And it's, we need to see that side of things. But come tonight and I'll show you another side of things. And it'll make you real happy that you're going to be a part of this. <clears throat> I assure you. Yeah. And he goes on. He says this. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Now will be his God and he shall be my son. Did you notice the change there? 
We go from a bride to a corporate man. Mm -hmm. Come Wednesday night and you'll see what we're talking about. Okay. And he goes on. He says this. He says, but the fearful. <coughs> say the fearful. Oh, the coward. The coward. Cowards. Hear the Holy Ghost say, cowards. You know, my, I'm giving you my translation here. The, the, the fearful, the cowards, the wimps. People can't know them who don't good. People fight the fight. Because some little people who don't fight the fight. Why? Because they're afraid. They're afraid of what people think about them. They're afraid about what the world thinks about them. They're afraid of what the devil thinks about them. <laughs> oh, I don't want him on my back. You little wimp. But I don't fit in. Coward, you're supposed to stand out. You're supposed to stand out and stand up. Some little be some little, some little. <coughs> it doesn't matter what your background is physically, what you've experienced physically. You can still be a wimp spiritually. You can still be biggest coward. You can be a green beret and be a coward spiritually. <coughs> We're talking about spiritual men, spiritual women. They overcome. Y'all like that? That's the truth, man. I got a sister in here. She's not married yet, you know. She said, I know exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah, hard-working man, a man, a spiritual man, a real man. We got quiet, didn't it? Y'all want me to go ahead and preach on the bride some more, don't you? Okay, okay. <clears throat> no, I'm showing you the good fish, the bride, and the son. Now I'm showing you the bad fish and what happens to the bad fish. It's at the end of the age and here it is. Okay. The fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable. That means something that God hates. People who participate in things that God hates. You'd be surprised at what God hates. And murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers. And idolaters and all liars. All the liars said amen. <laughs> Praise God. Mm. And all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. That's exactly what the bad fish, what was said of the bad fish. <laughs> part in the lake which burned with fire and brimstone which is the second death there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vows the full of seven last plagues and talked with me saying come hither I will show thee the bride the lamb's wife you place that over to the seventh church and you find the timing of the event in closing let's go back to Revelation chapter 6 and then we'll back up to Revelation 3 and I'll read it to you Revelation 16 excuse me in verse 15 behold I come as a thief blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments 
lest he walk naked and they see his shame. He gathered them together in the place called the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. The seventh vial. Do you realize how far we've gone before he talks about watching and keeping your garments lest you walk naked? You have gone all the way through the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath is about to open. The seventh vial. These seven vials right here are part of the day of the Lord, which are post-tribulational. Over here it shows them in the tribulation. They're not. They're post-tribulational right here. Just before he sets up that seventh day kingdom, just before his bride walks with him in that place. Do you understand? That's what he says that concerning the garments. See, <clears throat> what this last day bride is going to have to overcome is much more than just, you know, mundane life. Much more than not just having enough food on the table. Much more than not having a full bank account. Much, much more than that. I'm missing somebody today. I'll, I'll talk to them, find out where they are. Hallelujah. Do you understand the seriousness of this? It's powerful stuff. Go Revelation chapter 3. We're going to close. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, we... You know, we're apostolic. We're Jesus' name. We're one God. We got the Holy Ghost. But there's a lot of people backslid anyway. They're backslid in the pew, man. And God's trying to wake you up. He's not just talking to a denominal church system. He's talking to this pastor. He's talking to you this morning. See, we haven't arrived yet. Haven't arrived yet. Revelation 3, verse 14. And under the angel of the church of Laodicea, means the people rule. These things saith the amen, the faithful and the true witness. He stayed faithful and true as a witness. The beginning of the creation of God, old and new creation. He's the one that brought it in. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I'm rich and increased with goods. And have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor, blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire. That thou mayest be rich in white raiment. Thou mayest be clothed. That the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eyes salve. Get anointed. That thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. That's kingdom age talk. Even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto all the churches. I mean, I want to sit with him on the throne. 
awesome promises. Awesome promises. In closing, these churches, I believe, are churches that God is telling to overcome, not just in their day, but in a future day. In our day now and in a future day called the seven-year tribulation period, I wouldn't doubt if God is so specific in his dealings with man that the first church lays on the first year of the tribulation and the second church on the second year, third church, fourth year, uh, third year, fourth, fourth year, fifth, fifth year, sixth, sixth year, and the seventh church, seventh year. Because God is so awesome in his timing of events. How, how? I'm not sure because I'm not in the seven-year tribulation yet. But I can go through the book of Revelation and possibly we will see. I don't know how to do it. It had to be a revelation from God. But he is so precise in his events and dealings with man and his shadowing and types and all of that that everything lays on everything else. And so having said that, the Bible says there is coming a time when you can look at people in this world and you can determine what church they're in by their actions and their lifestyle. Today Jesus walks in this church and he says this one's the church of Laodicea. This one's the church of Philadelphia. This one's the church of Ephesus. This is the church of Sardis. This is the church of Smyrna. This is the church of Thyatira. This is the church of Philadelphia. This is the church of Laodicea. He walks through this church today and he knows exactly where you are and where I am. And there's coming a time when you will be able to look at each other and say, he's Laodicea. He's Philadelphia. He's Laodicea. He's Smyrna. He's suffering. Christ. He lost everything for Christ. Smyrna. Philadelphia. Ah, overcoming. Preaching the gospel. Walking through the door. A part of the temple of God. Do you understand what I'm trying to show you? God has given you these pictures today to help you identify where you are and where you want to go. Let's stand. <clears throat> Father God, I give you the praise and the glory and the honor and the worship. <coughs> I thank you for your spirit this morning that is in our midst. You're holy and righteous and glorious. And there's no God like you, no Savior like you. I thank you, Jesus, that in my vileness, in my wretchedness, in my miserable, miserableness, God. I know I'm blind. I know I'm wretched. I know I'm miserable. But Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus stopped. And looked at blind Bartimaeus and healed his blindness. After blind Bartimaeus had cast off the beggar's garments that the Roman government had given to him to beg because he was blind. Having cast off those garments of the government, he is now made whole. And he now sees by the touch of Jesus. And I thank you today, Father, that you are touching our eyes. You're anointing our eyes that we may see. 
you will overcome God because you have exhorted us to do so I give you all the glory honor and praise in Jesus name give the Lord a hand clap praise <clears throat> I'm going to dismiss you we will see you tonight please pray 530 before church okay so we can hear from God Lord bless you I love you in his name